Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast. I'm Guy Swarbrick and this afternoon I'm doing something a little bit different in that I am just driving out of the Stellantis press garage in an Alfa Romeo Tonale. So what I'm going to try and do, I have the car for the next three days and I'm going to try to give you some idea of what this car is like and what it's like to drive. I have to say at this point I have a newfound respect for TV and YouTube car reviewers. Driving and maintaining a coherent commentary as you go is a lot harder than it looks. My plan was to record snippets over the three days I had the car but I lasted less than an hour. So the rest of the podcast will be a mixture of a few thoughts recorded in that initial hour, but mostly some studio recordings a week or so later, to give you a little insight into how the full review, which will appear in the August issue, was written. car I'm in is a... Some of you will have seen it by now at Cotswold Alpha Day or on the Giro Panoramico before Cotswold Alpha Day. Um, it's a black Tonale Ti. You'll remember that we're getting three trim levels in the UK for both the 160 horsepower hybrid I'm driving here and the 1.3 PHEV, which is coming early next year. Initial orders will all be for the Speciale, the launch edition in effect, and then there'll be a TI and a Veloce. TI has a standard 18-inch diamond-cut alloy wheels, although ours was sporting 20-inch teledials, gloss black body kit, automatic headlights and automatic main beam, parking sensors and a rear-view camera, hands-free powered tailgate, keyless entry and a cloth and vegan leather interior, which is actually rather nice. Veloce adds 19-inch wheels, red Brembo brake calipers, the dual-stage valve DSV electronic suspension, Myron black body kit, privacy glass, dual chrome exhaust tips, and an Alcantara interior with aluminium door sills, pedals, and shift levers. The Speciale has everything the Veloce does, bar the DSV suspension with the 20-inch wheels. So I'm just coming out of the Stellantis press garage. The plan is to drive the car home via a few landmarks between the press garage in Coventry and my home in Berkshire. So I've chosen a, a few car-related places to go. I could have just gone down the M40. wouldn't have told me an awful lot about the car. So I am currently heading out on uh, or towards the Warwick Bypass, and then we'll be heading down to well-known petrol head venue caffeine machine i only found out earlier this week that i was getting the car so i haven't prepared anybody nobody knows i'm coming so we'll just see what happens when we get there i should probably say at this point mrs swarbrick wasn't overly excited by the tonale but she did particularly like the noisy indicators made so that's my excuse for not trying to edit them out the first part of the journey out of coventry involved a lot of roundabouts so the indicators were on a lot the first impression is quite good it's a nice comfortable place to be quite responsive eventually though i got out onto the warwick bypass and started to find my way around some of the driver aids very nice it's just noticed that there's a new speed limit so i have that single click to go up to the new speed limit i have the um, radar cruise control on so it's just moved up to the back of the range rover in front of me which is doing 55 traffic to my right so i can't move around at the moment but we'll find out how smooth the transition on the radar cruise control is when i go to move out of lane um, car in front's move accelerated slightly so we're now doing 64 change lanes yeah very nice now doing 70 being motor paced by the, the van in front slight adjustment generally the drive aids work well the steering assist was a little unnerving in a left-hand drive vehicle because it felt as though it was putting the car too close to the left-hand line on the road but with the big door mirrors angled down slightly you could see that in fact it was well positioned but like all of these semi-autonomous features you do need to keep on top of them and make adjustments 
A fairly common set of circumstances is that you come up to the back of a car with the radar cruise control and can see there's a gap to your right once the car that's currently passing you is clear. But by now the cruise control is already braking and as you pull out into the gap it brakes harder to maintain the gap to the new car ahead. But because that car is moving significantly faster than the one you were behind previously it then has to accelerate hard to get back to the gap you'd set. It's much easier to turn it off and overtake manually then re-engage when a safe gap's restored. And I can see on the dash that the, uh, the hybrid battery is being charged. It's currently only at about uh, 40%. So interesting to see how that charge goes as we head down towards Kathleen and Michigan. And it was interesting. I have to say, after three days of driving the car, I really have no idea how the hybrid system is supposed to work. It's been described as being very close to the Kerr system on an F1 car. When you brake, the secondary battery is charged and the energy in that battery can be used in one of two ways. There's an electric boost, which you can see cutting in on the dash display, and there's genuine electric propulsion, albeit in a limited way. The in-car recording for that's coming up shortly, but I have to say it happened two or three times between Coventry and Caffeine and Machine on the first day and never happened again in three days, no matter what the state of charge. The e-boost, though, worked throughout. So I I'll start to play with some of the, uh, the dash options. At the moment, I've just got an absolutely standard digital dash with the, the fuel gauge and the charge meter in the middle yeah it's quite a nice place to get a chance to do much in the way of uh, adjustment while we were at the press garage so my seat's a little bit higher than i would normally like but uh, fully electrically adjustable of course quite a warm day today it's about 25 26 degrees outside <laughs> and i've just turned the air conditioning off just so that the, uh, the air conditioning isn't fighting the microphone so hopefully that'll be bearable uh, for the next part of the journey about 20 minutes till i get to be able to have a coffee and some lunch. As we'll see shortly, it wasn't bearable for long, but it hopefully means the next bit of in-car audio is a little cleaner. The climate control is very effective, and unlike some previous Alpha air conditioning, you can still have one side of the car on low when the other side is set to a higher temperature. The basic information on how the system is set up is displayed along the top of the central screen, and there's also a full screen display if you need it, showing what's happening on both sides of the car, front and rear, including the heated seats and heated steering wheel. Not relevant at the moment, but that's still one of my favourite modern driver comforts. Exactly 26 degrees outside, apparently. I don't think I'm going to be using the uh, the heated seats most much over the next couple of days. The forecast is for the temperature to get well into the 30s. be a little bit uncomfortable. Climate control does seem to work pretty well. It was pretty cold as I I was coming out of the press garage and the, it's a black car that had been sat uh, in the sunshine for quite a while before I picked it up. It's got a couple of USB ports, which is quite handy. It's got a standard USB A port and a USB C port and a wireless charger, which can power most of the things you need. There's another pair in the rear, as well as a 12 volt socket. So you really do have plenty of charging options. There are also two big cup holders and the deepest cubby hole I've ever encountered between the seats. To say it doesn't feel like a big car on the road. You're quite enveloped, the sides, the, the door caps are quite high up and there's plenty of headroom but it doesn't feel like you're sitting particularly high which you know, might be a, a negative point for people who who want an suv because of the high driving position mile, keep left to continue on warwick bypass thank you very much google maps for the first part of the journey i was testing the android auto setup which is very good but i did use the built-in sat nav over the weekend and it worked well it's also very well integrated into the dash setup with the ability to have the center section of the conventional dash layouts in the instrument binnacle or pretty much all of the instrument binnacle display in the minimalist layout given over to a 3D map view. Battery charge is now over 50%. Keep left to continue on worrying. Not really that. sure how the battery drive works in practice. I did pull out of my parking space at the press garage under battery power, um, but 
I guess until I get stuck in traffic, possibly in the queue coming in and out of uh, Cotswold Alpha Day. Uh, not quite sure how that's going to work. Having driven the roughly equivalent Compass, the 4XE, um, I have to say the engine feels uh, a lot smoother and a lot more refined than the Jeep does. It's a big increase in the amount of energy that's being harvested as you uh, as you break to a halt. We're now up at nearly 75% and it's telling me, I think, let's put it into natural because I've been in dynamic. It's telling me that I'm hybrid, but now actually that might have been a, a holder. The H on the dash was in fact the automatic handbrake or hill holder indicator. In my defense at this point, I hadn't found, let alone looked at the manual. And when I did find it, it was in Italian, French, German and Dutch. Quite nicely weighted steering. It's obviously assisted, but um, it's quite a nice weight to the assistance. This car also has the Harman Kardon audio, so I'll, uh, I'll give that a try later on. I did. It was fine. Okay, so there's an EV light. I've uh, just moved up to about 10 miles an hour in EV mode before the internal combustion engine caught up or cut in. It did seem to take quite a lot of the power, though, so I'm not quite sure. So I guess that is... Try this hybrid again. So definitely battery power at the moment. And again, up to about 9, 10 miles an hour, and then it kicks in the petrol motor. So the theory is that by using the battery and stop-start traffic and pulling away like this, you're removing the internal combustion engine from some of the most inefficient parts of the journey, and that should have a positive impact on fuel consumption. But we're less than 15 minutes into my three-day spell with the car, and I think it only did it once more. I deliberately avoided motorways and dual carriageways for most of my time with the car and only averaged 30 miles an hour, despite some pretty spirited driving. So it was probably just about the worst possible test in terms of fuel consumption, short of taking the car on a circuit. I managed 30 miles to the gallon over the three days, which doesn't sound brilliant, but it suggests much better is achievable in normal use. Hopefully this will be more representative of the kind of road that our members would want to be driving on. So I'm now on the, um, the A49, but single carriageway, windy road, uh, on my way down to Caffeine and Machine, and some traffic. So I guess the plus side of the traffic is I might get a feel for how the, the hybrid works in traffic. So yeah, I'm back in EV mode, but just under a, few, a full tank, showing 500 miles of range, which obviously is uh, is rather better than I'd get from a conventional petrol engine um, as well as being considerably more than I would typically get from a powered car. Plenty of acceleration to get through before they turn the stop-go sign round at the roadworks. So still in N. Uh, I think in the PHEV version if you're in all weather or whatever AE is called this week. It's advanced efficiency, logically enough. That will tend to operate in battery mode as much as possible. So we'll see if that has any impact in terms of where the internal combustion engine kicks in. My guess is that 10 or 11 miles an hour is is about the most that the, uh, the motor in the transmission is capable of assisting at, but we'll, we'll try that shortly. One thing I have to say about the Tonale is that there's a more obvious difference between the D, N and A modes than in any other similarly equipped Alpha I've driven. I normally have a preference for dynamic and that's certainly the case here. One slight irritation, and there may be somewhere in the dozens of setup options to change this, but I suspect not, is that the car reverts to natural mode when the ignition's turned off for any period of time. I'm going to have to turn the air conditioning on, though, because I am melting. Oh, that's better. Hopefully that's not drowning me out, given the microphone's a lot closer to me than the fan, but... If it is, I'll have to re-record this bit later. There's somewhere, I assume, on one of the stalk ends. Oh, yes, now we have a 105-style DAC. That's much nicer. So I have a 
speedometer that goes up to 260 kilometers an hour. So left-hand drive Italian car, obviously. Uh, on the left-hand side, big big dial and a rev counter uh, that goes up to the red lines at about five and a half thousand, but goes up to well over seven thousand. So we'll see what really happens when you do that. I'm going to go back into dynamic now because it's an alpha. Well, that's interesting. You get slight change in the dials when you move from one mode to another. Changing into dynamic adds a, a highlighted area on the uh, the rev counter, the first 1500 revs or so of the red line area suddenly becomes highlighted. The options to customize the digital dash are really quite nice. We'll cover them in more detail in the review, but there's something weirdly satisfying about having a 1960s style analog speedo and rev counter either side of a G meter. But this is about where the audio diary idea ended, which is probably just as well because it would have taken me months to edit three days of audio. The initial plan for the petrol head landmarks on the way home didn't quite go to plan either. The idea had been to go to Caffeine and Machine, the Diddley Squat Farm Shop, the Alpine F1 factory in Enstone, and the Williams Formula 1 factory in Grove. A nice testing drive with some great photo locations, on paper at least. It was mid-afternoon on Friday when I arrived at Caffeine and Machine and it was rammed. I got diverted to the field alongside the overflow car park, where I did manage to park next to a Julietta, but there was no way I was going to get the photo I wanted. I walked in past a 4C and grabbed a burger at the Monza table, the indoor tables are named after a weird mix of motor racing circuits, and headed off to Clarkson's farm shop. That was heaving too. Again, the Tonale was directed to a field at the back of the shop, and even if I'd had somebody with me to hop out with a camera, there was no chance of getting the shot I wanted, as the shop sign was on the entrance road, which was clogged with constant two-way traffic. I put my jar of bee juice in the boot and headed off. I visited the Enstone F1 factory when it was Renault, and remember it as having a big sign outside. Another nice driving segment with a photo op, except that the Alpine sign is tiny, set back from the road and had an ancient Renault Espace parked in front of it. All this had taken longer than planned, so I abandoned the Williams visit and instead decided to pop into Unity, the Alfa Romeo dealer in Kidlington, just outside Oxford. If I'd been disappointed at the lack of attention the Tonale had attracted at the first three stops, not a second glance at Caffeine and Machine, and just a few heads turned at the Diddley Squat farm shop, the Unity team were much more impressed, with most of the staff coming out to take a look. Another spirited drive out of the Cotswolds and into the Chilterns, and I was through the tail end of the Henley Festival and home. There's been a lot written in the press about the fact that the Tonale had to attract new types of buyer. Yes, BMW and Audi customers are targets, but also other compact SUV owners with families. Conveniently, I have two adult children with young families and Nissan Qashqai's. I'm very proud of my kids, and I don't think I did a bad job of bringing them up, generally speaking. The cash cows, however, do remind me of my failure where it really matters. The morning was spent with my son who drove the car for a couple of hours and was pretty taken with it. He has two daughters under three, so a key test was whether the large double buggy would fit in the boot. And it did. Just about. You'd probably get a week shopping in too, but you'd have to arrange it quite carefully around the buggy. Cam has a 30-mile round-trip commute to Farnborough Airport, with free employee car charging at the end, so the forthcoming PHEV would potentially allow him to travel to and from work without using any fuel at all although I suspect in practice there'd be some higher speed, higher load segments of the journey where the ice would kick in. From there, the car went for a hand car wash, where the staff showed more interest than anyone else had up to that point, before we headed off to a hotel in Morton in Marsh ahead of the Giro and Cotswold Alpha Day. I somehow managed to persuade my wife that Caffeine and Machine would be a great spot for dinner, but predictably, it was even busier, and we were again shunted into the overflow car park. Not a great photo spot, one of the other visitors that evening did take a picture of the car, which subsequently appeared on an Italian car news site, alongside a story about the launch of the Italian market diesel version. Anyway, up early on Sunday, and by the time we got to the start of the Giro, the car was already filthy again, so it was out with the Maguire's waterless wash and wax. 
Unsurprisingly, the car now attracted a lot of attention. Most people remarked that it was smaller than they expected on the outside and bigger on the inside, which was pretty much my reaction when I first saw it in the flesh. The car performed pretty well on the Giro, where we had to stop for a fuel top-up. We certainly didn't get the 500-mile range that was predicted, but I think it was around the 400-mile mark. I zeroed the trip meter at the start of the Giro and hadn't recorded the mileage up to that point. Ironically, the Giro route took us past the Alpine factory, so that was two locations we'd now visited twice. Again, the car proved a popular attraction when we arrived at the Cotswolds Wildlife Park for the main event, and I even had a choice of three black Juliettas for a side-by-side comparison photo. After another pleasant drive home through the Cotswolds, it was an early start on the final day for a photo shoot in the Chilterns, with our director Jonathan Griffin doing the driving, as he did with the GTAM. With the shots we needed in the can, we decided to have a go at filling in some of the gaps. Inevitably, our route back to Diddley Squat Farm for our second attempt at a photo took us past the Alpine factory for the third time, and on arrival we were told that the car park was closed unless we were eating. The frustration on our faces must have been obvious, because we were let in by the three-man security team, who even moved their pickup to allow us a better shot alongside the sign, which was much appreciated. By now you know what's coming next. Our third visit to Caffeine and Machine. We were late for lunch again, and didn't hold out too much of getting a spot outside the main building, but the place was really quiet, we managed to get a good set of photos in two locations. And we were done. Almost 20 hours of driving over four days, and it was time to hand the Tonale back. You can read more about the trip in the upcoming Notiziario newsletter and the road test in the August issue of the magazine. Big thanks to Christina Perry and the PR team at Alfa Romeo for agreeing to extend the 8-hour loan schedule for Monday into a 76-hour loan from Friday lunchtime to Monday afternoon. That's all we've got time for this week. We'll be back in two weeks' time at 1.30pm on July the 31st with a National Alpha Day preview. Episode 62 will be available to download from the club website, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict and pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Until then, stay safe.